name is Greg McNeil. I'm the founder of Cover Two Resources, a nonprofit organization founded in memory of my son, Sam, who died of a heroin overdose in October. Our mission is to provide education, support, and advocacy for those affected by the growing opioid epidemic in our country. I'd like to welcome you to this Cover Two Resources podcast. This is an ongoing audio series in which we interview people who are making a difference in the fight against opioid addiction. Our goal here is to raise awareness and connect users and their families with resources to fight opioid addiction. My name is Greg McNeil. I'm the founder of Cover Two Resources. Today, I'm happy to have with me Judge Mattia from Drug Court in Cuyahoga County. Welcome, Judge. Good morning. Judge Mattia, you're known for running a successful and compassionate drug court. Tell us how you got started. Well, I've been running drug court for seven years now, but I've been a common police judge for 18. Um, came to the bench like most people without any kind of uh, background in dependency or you know, alcohol or drug training, and um, just uh, started slowly trying to figure out that uh, you know the revolving door of sending people to prison wasn't wasn't working. Uh, I had a guy named Anthony Cordetti come through here. Um, he was a defendant, um, you know, forty-something-year-old married guy, uh, a little like myself, uh, whose life uh, had been taken over by dependency and. I realized how badly he wanted to get uh, help and uh, kind of started to open my eyes to it. And then uh, the opportunity um, came up shortly thereafter to start a drug court. Um, and uh, I was fortunate enough that uh, the administrative judge chose me to, to run it. And uh, you know, the rest is history. So can you tell our listeners exactly how drug court works? Sure. Drug court is a specialized docket where, you know, our focus is to reduce recidivism. Um, dependency causes crime. Untreated dependency will continue to cause crime. So if we treat the cause of the crime-driving disease, we get a guy or gal who goes back to society healthy and productive. They help their kids with homework. They hold a job. They pay taxes. They don't get arrested again. They don't get a public defender assigned. They don't uh, uh, have the state pay for their prison. Um, so it is the opposite of a vicious cycle. We throw extra resources at the disease. We get them treatment. Uh, we hold them accountable. Um, there's various things we make them do. Uh, and uh, most people come out doing very well long-term. Even those who flunk out of drug court do well long-term. You hold them accountable by doing periodic drug tests. Yeah, we have uh, regular random testing. Everybody gets tested at least two times a week. We have a, a phone-in system. Everybody is assigned a color. And if, uh, you know, today's Thursday and the color's yellow and you've got yellow, you got 24 hours to report and give us a sample. Uh, and if you don't, there's a sanction for it. And if you're positive, you know, we find out about it and we deal with that. Today, you can just Google it to find so many different ways to beat drug tests. How do you deal with that? Well, there's not that many. I'm not naive to it, but we do tre test for a wider spectrum of drugs 
you know, than your typical five panel probation test. You know, we test for suboxone, we test for, uh, you know, some synthetics. Um, so, you know, and uh, somebody has the unpleasant job of having to witness uh, the collection of um, urine for the drug test. So, you know, people can't cheat that way by bringing in, the, you know, a sample of the temperatures taken of it. You know, if somebody's submitting something that's room temperature, you know, we know it's, uh, it's been tampered with. So um, it's not that easy to cheat a drug test. Um, if somebody submits a sample that's too dilute, basically our first uh, assumption is going to be they're trying to hide something. They drank a bunch of water in an attempt to hide something. So we'll send that out for further testing, and it'll show us whether they've been using it or not. Okay. On average, how long do people stay in your program under your supervision in drug court? Uh, the typical drug court, uh, I'd say average is between 12 and 18 months. We want them to graduate with at least uh, three months of sobriety. Um, so that's, that's the average. Now, this may be tough to do, but can you give me a rough percentage of the people who remain sober long-term after they've graduated from your program? Well, we have one study that was done, and we're close to another study being completed. Um, Case uh, Western did uh, an analysis of the first 249 people through drug court. Uh, of those, 56% graduated. The other were terminated for a variety of reasons. But um, the good news is that one year after they either graduated or were terminated, only 8.4% had been rearrested. And of those rearrests, only 4% of the 249 had been rearrested for felonies. So, um, you know, you would expect the graduates to do well. But what we've seen is once we introduce people to, you know, sober tools, principles of sober living, they may not be ready to do it in court, but after a while, you know, they learn how to live clean. And, uh, you know, we, we like to say that, uh, you know, you go through drug court, you know, you're pleading in the pair of handcuffs you're wearing, maybe the last pair you ever wear. So, um, you know, that's, uh, that's how it works. Okay. Let's pick up our discussion about graduation and specifically the requirements for graduation from drug court. Yeah, you'll have to have been in drug court for a sufficient period of time, so we're somewhat confident that you're going to do well long term. What does that mean? Uh, you know, at least 90 days of uninterrupted sobriety. Most people graduate with much more than that. Um, and uh, we one of the reasons drug court is so successful is we take a team approach. It's not just the judge making the decision, but I have, uh, you know, several sets of eyes uh, on my team that's um, interacting with the participant who, you know, we all sit around and discuss whether this person's ready to graduate. We have them fill out an application. Um, we talk to their sponsor. Um, so they've completed treatment. They've completed aftercare. They've been clean for 90 days. They're engaging in pro-social activities. They're living in a sober environment. Um, you know, we want to see progress, and we want to see not just that they're jumping through our hoops because we're making them, but that they're really embracing, 
you know, a healthy lifestyle. In addition to all of that, I understand you make earning a GED a condition of graduation. Is that right? We do make a, a GED a condition of graduation. Um, you know, we want to give them the best foot forward. Um, you know, oftentimes I'm asked, is marijuana a gateway to drug? You know, I don't have a great answer to that, but I can tell you what a gateway drug is. It's, you know, poverty, lack of education, you know, hopelessness. Those are all gateway drugs. So, you know, we take away, we give them, we give them a head start on their education. It's just another safety net that we put below them uh, to help ensure that they stay sober long term. Wow, that's a completely new take on that. It's a holistic approach. Yeah. I mean, you really have to look at the whole person's existence and, uh, you know, it's it's not just one, we're going to give you a shot in your arm and you're cured kind of thing. It's really reprogramming that person to uh, live healthier. Uh, dependency, as you know, is not a moral shortcoming. It is a chronic disease. What's a chronic disease? It's something that if un is left untreated, it'll kill you. Hypertension and diabetes are also chronic diseases. You know, we treat those uh, much better fashion in society than we do dependency, and that needs to change. Okay, let's talk about any success factors that you might be able to cite. For those that have achieved, they've graduated from your program, and they have been successful in their long-term recovery, are there some individual success factors that you might be able to share with our listeners? You know, it's hard to put this in a formula. Uh, what advice I would give to your listeners who are family members is please stop loving your kids to death. Uh, stop enabling them to continue with the lifestyle that they're living. Easier said than done. Don't support them with money. Don't give them a job. You know, if they're not going to do what they need to do to stay sober, don't reward them and reinforce their behavior. You know, if you got to kick them on the street, you got to kick them on the street. That's easier for me to say in, in my position as a judge than as a parent, but we have the most trouble with people who are enabled by their family members. I mean, I've got mom who won't report to us that her kid OD'd in the program. You know, I think it's pretty important that we know that that kid's still struggling and we could have got him medication-assisted treatment, but, you know, the mom didn't feel necessary, felt more, more necessary to protect the kid from, I don't know what, but an eventual death than to get him the help he needs, so... Now, what are the things that family members can do to support their loved ones when they're going through drug court to support the program? Um, yeah, it's uh, same thing we do. Uh, you, you know, you you want to support them. You don't want to enable them. Um, families have every right to take a wait and see attitude. There's been a lot of bridges burned uh, by past behavior. Um, no trouble verify asking them to verify that they have a sponsor, making sure that they go to meetings. You know, twelve-step programs are are not a panacea, but they are a step to um, a pro-social existence. You're linking with other people who live sober lives who generally are interested in helping you. I mean, you ever been to a twelve-step meeting? The first thing you experience when you walk in the door, there's a line of people waiting to shake a stranger's hand. Uh, and, you know, that's the beauty of the program is, you know, not that 
you work these magical 12 steps and you're you're cured, but you're re-embracing with the community. You're using you're an island. You know, you've cut off everybody, you've, you know, um, but when you start trying to get clean, you know, the 12-step program, the the group, the people in those rooms are are wonderful help. It's a wonderful resource. So um, as far as the parents, you know, just keep, you know, it's like Gorbachev and Reagan, you know, trust but verify. You know, you, you want to make sure your loved one is doing the things they need to do to stay sober and, uh, you know, being where they're supposed to be. And most importantly, avoiding the people, places, and things uh, that they were associating with when they used. It's, it's that simple. People, places, and things sound simple, but you avoid those triggers, the people, the places, the things associated with using, you have a much better chance of staying clean. This program has been very successful, and the pros seem to be real obvious. Are there any cons? About drug court, um, you know, we are... don't like to terminate people because the options aren't great. I don't like to send people to prison. Um, sometimes that's what we're faced with. That's the only thing left after, you know, a year and a half, two years. Maybe that's the terrible experience that's going to have someone find their bottom. Um, so drug court overall uh, is, uh, is very positive and is, you know, the accountability that we are able to provide the criminal justice system, you know, is really, um, I think, a fantastic edge that we have over just private treatment because, you know, somebody doesn't want to go to treatment uh, and they're not in the criminal justice system, there's not much of a consequence to that except their continued use. When someone doesn't want to go to, you know, a drug court requirement, we have the, you know, the backup stick to the carrot, and, and uh, that's the form of a county jail for a day or two sanction. And that gets their attention and can refocus them. Uh, but we know that people respond better to incentives than to uh, punishment. Um, but sometimes folks do need that wake-up call that, hey, this is what you're... You sit in county jail two, two days and look around and, you know, do you want this to be your future? Um, so, and we know people need time to, for their brain to heal before they can even think rationally about recovery. So, uh, cons uh, to drug court is, you know, there's not enough of them. We need more resources. Fantastic. Thank you, Judge. Are there any last comments or words that you might have for the Cover 2 listeners? Yeah. Uh, go out and support people who are judges who are smart on crime. You know, we have such a, a pressure as elected officials to be tough on crime. Uh, but smart on crime, judges aren't given the same kind of public support. Um, and if they are, you'd have a lot more people wanting to engage in this, you know, holistic approach. Uh, this is not a hug-a-thug program. This is a recidivism-busting tool. I mean, it's the best way to make our community safer is to actually treat diseases within the criminal justice system, whether they're dependency or mental illness. You know, those diseases... We know drive crime if they're left untreated. Um, and we can just focus on the violence people in the criminal justice system down the road and we'll have a separate medical parity system. But support, you know, 
to support the program, the work we do. Judge Mattia, I want to thank you for your time today. It's been terrific, and I want to congratulate you on your, your work here at Drug Court over the years. It's uh, very impressive. Thanks, Greg. Thanks for all the work you've been doing. That concludes our podcast with Judge Mattia, who runs a very successful drug court here in Cuyahoga County. Please tune in for more podcasts from Cover 2 Resources. Thank you for tuning in to this Cover 2 Resources podcast. This podcast is a production of Cover 2 Resources. It's made possible through donations from listeners like you. If you'd like to donate or sponsor a future podcast, please visit cover2.org. That's cover and the numeral 2.org. As always, thank you for listening and sharing this podcast. Together, I believe we can make a difference in the opioid epidemic one life at a time.